Well, hello, everybody. Here we are for another great Remnant Revealed podcast. Hello, Rick. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. We've got a good awesome. friend here we with do. us today. Hey, don't forget, subscribe, hit the bell, and uh, hit write us a comment, say something. Hello, hey, are you in the building? What's going on? And uh, and we do have a great guest today, all the way from Las Vegas, Nevada. Nevada. Do not you say guys learned, right? you guys Nevada. Okay. Nevada is wrong. Nevada. It's not even correct. It is Nevada. We get and and uh, it's Terre Haute. There you ter- go. Hey, there you go. You practice last. I learned. Practice a little back and forth. <laughs> He's in the hotel room. Terre Haute, Terre Haute, Terre Haute. That's awesome. Terre Haute, Indiana. Terre Haute, Indiana. Well, um, Randy, it's good to have you on uh, on the podcast with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. What a great career and a great uh, life you've led. Just so many things, man. We were blown away by all of the uh, all the stories last night, and of course, they're verifiable stories. It's it's just amazing. <laughs> I've been very, I've been very fortunate. It's been a, a, law enforcement for me has been a, just a blessing. I mean, you know, it's had its hardships, it's had its challenges, but that's how you grow. Yeah. Right. And I don't look, I don't look back with any regret on my chosen profession. Well, we got Randy Sutton here, a, a, a many decades in law enforcement, pretty well known in law enforcement circles and around the country and different organizations and whatnot. But uh, we really have been trying to get you to stop by here uh, and get the opportunity to talk to you about a lot of the new exciting things that you got going on. Um, and uh, I know that a lot of our viewers will be excited to see that you're uh, actually here with us. We talked about trying to do this, and we didn't really want to do it virtual. And you made it happen to uh, actually get here to Indiana and hang out with us for a bit. So we greatly appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate the opportunity. We, get, we do have some exciting stuff happening and we really want to get the word out to the law enforcement community and yeah. you guys got a great following well we appreciate that now you spent 10 years in new jersey right right i start. i began my career i was actually the youngest police officer in the state of new jersey at the time is I got that hired right in, i got hired at 19 wow. get out of yeah. here they had just changed the age majority from 21 to 18 wow so you could drink you could vote you could become a cop. But one thing you couldn't do was you couldn't buy ammunition because you had to be 21, right? <laughs> yeah. So you could become a cop, but you couldn't buy right. ammunition. Right. So there, I'm getting ready to go into the New Jersey State Police Academy, which is a tough police academy. you got to live there, right? They got right. You. And I had to have my mom go buy my bullets for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And then you left there, and you went to uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Right. So I spent 10 years there. Um, I was a... Patrol officer for six years and then a detective for four. Okay. And I was actually almost halfway to retirement. And um, it was a, Princeton was a nice town. It was my hometown, but there was 30 police officers. Is that where you were, Princeton, New Jersey? Yeah, Princeton, okay. New Jersey. Wow. Okay. And uh, it was, I was so bored. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I felt like I wasn't achieving what I really wanted to achieve as a cop. In 10 years, you're right. halfway to a pension or oh, I know. thereabouts. Like my, my co-workers thought I was absolutely oh, out I of my Oh, I bet mind. they did. I bet they did. <laughs> and then Why I had, are you leaving now? Are yeah. you crazy? Exactly. And, and you know, was, and we got paid pretty good in Princeton. Yeah. yeah. So I, had to, I took a $10,000 pay cut 
Woo. And then had to go through the academy all over again in, in oh, Las yeah. Vegas. Yeah. And start my career all over again. And I, <laughs> I went from being the youngest cop in the in the state of New Jersey and at the New Jersey State Police Academy to being one of the older contingent. Uh-huh. <laughs> seasoned. Seasoned is what one we of the like old, to call yeah, Seasoned, yes. Yeah, seasoned. Yeah. That's me. I'm, in I'm Las seasoned. Vegas Metro, right? Las Vegas Metro, right? Yeah. And you had a pretty uh, well-recognized uh, and storied career there in Las Vegas. A lot of... Uh, a lot of that uh, also captured on the cops television show, isn't that right? When it first started, yeah, actually, that's I was, where I remember you from. I, that's when I had my my nineteen eighties porno mustache. They used <laughs> to call it. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was really fortunate. I was in the second year of the show. Yeah, nineteen eighty nine was the first year I was on it, and then I was again on in nineteen ninety four, and then again in nineteen ninety six. And you were in a lot of the opening scenes and credits on the show too, weren't you? Yeah, they got a lot of good stuff with yeah. me. Yeah. So, so here's how you get to, you know, often people say, well, how did you get on that show? And the way they did it was they uh, came to the department, they worked a deal out with the department, and, and then they would send a producer out, and mm-hmm. they would ask the sergeant of the, of the shift, Who's the guy that that's that gets it that gets it on? You know, mm-hmm. we're who's the yeah, guy that, who stays on? There's always there was always one of those guys. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. So I was one of those guys. All right. Yeah. And uh, but they, they 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 give you like a, a almost like a screen test because they want to see if you're going to act up for the camera. If you're right. Gonna, you know, right. you're going to change. You know yeah. what you yeah, do. They don't want you playing to it. Yeah. 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 So they this the producer who wound up being a lifelong friend. Um, rides with me the first day and they just have a little handheld camera right uh-huh. just, so the the very first call out of the shoot camcorder is yeah basically that's what it was uh the very first call out of the shoot was was a guy started chasing me around trying to hit me with a with a with a pool with you know one of those pool uh, um noodles uh, no no not a noodle you know the scoop you know oh you, yeah like the net right oh like, the net. okay and <laughs> <laughs> and he's chasing me around the, and I'm laughing so hard because <laughs> and, and this guy is laughing anyway it wound up to be a really funny funny scene yeah. and he saw that that I it was you just, could do it it was fun and so that's that's what that's what began and I gotta tell you um, being on Cops was a fascinating experience yeah and it had ramifications that last to this day yeah wow um, well, here we are talking about it. Yeah. Here we are talking about it. Yeah. But the number of, of, of police officers who contacted me, including those on Metro, that said, Randy, I joined the police department because of you. Is yeah. that something? Oh, I, I, wow. I'm going to say, I, over the years, I'm going to say at least 50 contacted me. Yeah. Wow. And many, believe it or not, there were guys that came on the job years later and said, and wound up working for me. Yeah. Is that right? It was amazing. So it's that's it, awesome. It's a it's there's a there's a legacy about it. Yeah, sure. and you don't know whose life you're touching. Mm-hmm. That's exactly even from right. something as simple as that. It's not about ego. It's that's not. Right. It's about what what can you make from this experience? Mm-hmm. And it was um, plus it also opened some some other doors for me. I mean, uh, um, you know, I was in. The movie Casino, yeah, with yeah. Uh, Robert De Niro and Sharon Stone. Well, yeah, the the way I got that was I. Get now a, you're playing a difficult part in that movie. Yeah, I played a cop named Randy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I can't remember my lines. What's my name? Oh, it's Randy. Oh, okay. Well, we wound up 
Um, so I get a call one day, and, and it's, a, it's a casting director, and they say to me, hey, there's going to be this film shot in Vegas, and the uh, director wants realism in the part of a police officer. Would you come down and do an audition? And I'm always up for a new adventure, right? All right. So I walk into this suite at the old Riviera Hotel, which isn't even there anymore. Right. And, I, and who's standing there but Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese. Wow. Wow. Talk about being a little bit intimidated. <laughs> yeah, just right? a little. <laughs> and um, smoly. And when you go in for an audition, they, they give you <clears throat> the lines to read, right, for your audition. They call them sides. So they hand you these, these, these sides. And I'm looking at him. While I'm looking at him, I'm just telling him stories about being a Vegas cop. Mm-hmm. And the guy, <laughs> and Scorsese says, "You can put them down. You're hired. You're hired, right? Yeah. <laughs> From yeah. telling him stories You're about legit. being a Vegas cop. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't get more real than <laughs> telling stories like you tell. Yeah. My yeah. Hey, so you were. Uh, I think I read uh, statistic where you were one of the most highly decorated uh, uh, officers on your department. Yes. In the history of your department. Yes. Uh, several uh, medals of valor and uh, different things that you dealt with, which I know officers and cops don't really like a lot of that stuff. It makes them feel uncomfortable because they just love doing the job they do. But um, highly deserved and uh, just an amazing career. It, uh, it, was, it was an amazing career. And uh, it, I mean, I, I, you know, total years I did 34 years. And that's a, that's a pretty good run. That's a good run. That's a good run. But I didn't intend to retire. <clears throat> and right. 24 years in Vegas. That's, a, in Vegas. that's a run. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's a good long time. It was, it, yes, it was. Um, and, you know, I, there was a lot of action in those 24 years. Sure. And a lot yeah. of challenges. Sure. Um, but, you know, I, one of the things that um, I think I find so fascinating about policing and it's and it's not really talked about a lot, but the intellectual opportunities <clears throat> for growth, yeah, in the, in the profession. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, a, a lot of people think that you know it's it's a it's a blue collar job, if mm-hmm. you will. Yeah, and, just old dumb strength, yeah, and right. anybody can do it. And ah, well, there. I mean, we we actually have a term for that: knuckle draggers. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. We can, yeah. Mm-hmm. And some of sometimes you got to be a knuckle dragger. Right. Right. Yeah. But the um, the potential for personal growth from everything that you see and do and experience no doubt can um, can really really um, you know cause you to become a better person and I think that's one of the things that I found so attractive and, about and, that. and awesome. constant change I mean when you talk about yeah. growth coming from change that's all police work is is about change you know yeah and uh, we always say there's two things that <clears throat> Cops uh, don't like, and that's change in the way things are. And yeah. So, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. whatever day that is, that is right. Just know that's that's the deal. So, twenty four <clears throat> years there, but you just said that you ended up retiring, but not because you wanted to. Tell us about right. that, if you can. My career ended uh, literally on uh, on a, a, a dirty Las Vegas street, mm. um, where I had a stroke in my police car. Wow, and mm. right in fact, right in front of Las Vegas, right on Las Vegas Boulevard, which <clears> is <throat> the famed strip, in front of Bally's Hotel. This is a night that I will remember for the rest of my life. Of course, um, I was uh, a lieutenant, and I spent my entire lieutenant's career graveyard shift, because okay. in Vegas, that's where the action is. That's sure. right. Yeah, you so like the action. And in in Vegas, like many departments, once you promote out of lieutenant, everything's admin for the rest of your career right mm-hmm. so that wasn't me so i stayed as as a field lieutenant 
for my entire lieutenant's career. And when I was watch commander, as I was on this particular night, I would always take a, a patrol officer with me so I could get to know my people. Sure. And they could get to see their lieutenant could actually do some police work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, not, a, not a pencil. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I had this young officer with me, first time he'd ever ridden with me. And uh, it's 2.30 in the morning. We're driving down Las Vegas Boulevard. We just come from a very interesting call. And we're talking about it. We're going over, you know, what, what we saw and, and how the how the sergeants uh, took care of business. Hmm. And Now, is the officer driving or are you? I was driving. Okay. And, um, and I'm talking to him just like I'm talking to you guys. And suddenly I found myself talking slower. Hmm. And I knew it. And I knew right away what was happening, that I was having a stroke. Did you? And I stopped the police car right in the middle of the right in the middle of Las Vegas Boulevard and said to this kid, I just get me medical, I'm having a stroke. Mm. And he looks at me like Is you serious? Is this what the yeah. lieutenant does to people? Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's pulling this is one breaking of those, me in. Yeah, he's breaking me yeah. in. It's one of those moments. And he realized that now this is serious stuff. And I got out of the car to uh, go around to the pastor side in case he needed to get me to the hospital. Mm. And in those few seconds, I started speaking gibberish. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew I was speaking gibberish. That was the most frightening part. Yeah, I knew what I was trying to say, but that's not what was coming out of my mouth. Wow. I had no control wow. at all. And then I lost the ability to speak, and I mm-hmm. lost the ability to move. Mm. And I, I crumpled to the, to the pavement and uh, lay there helpless. On the Las Vegas <clears throat> Strip. On the Las Vegas Strip. Wow. And wow. tourists are walking by me, taking my picture while I'm laying there. Look at that. Wow. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely helpless. Now, you guys know I've had some, I've had some uh, uh, experiences that were very frightening. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been, sure. I, I've survived a number of gun, you know, gunfights. And, and I've, been, I've been in some pretty tough situations. I was never more frightened than I was that night. And I wasn't afraid of death. I was afraid of living like that. Wow. Oh, wow. wow. And I'll never forget that moment. And and once again, though. That, that's a hold on. It, it just right there. Because somebody needs to hear that that's watching this podcast who may be an officer who's been injured or an officer that's been badly wounded. And that is you're not afraid to die. Actually, in dealing with a lot of officers who have had tragic events, I have found that they deal a lot with depression and struggle with the fact that they did not die. They would have rather died. Uh, In their mind, sometimes they think that would even help their family more or that they wouldn't have to be looked at like they are. So that is a huge statement you just made. It is, and and it's not a statement that I make lightly either. No, I can tell. And and at the same time, Mm -hmm. so I thought this was, you know, now we're going to, you know, go in the future a little bit. So that ended my career, ended my police career. Sure. That, and three weeks before that, my mother died in my arms. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy shit. And a month before that, I was in uh, another fatal shooting. So there was a lot going That's on. That's a lot. It's a in, lot my, in my brain and yeah. in my, yeah. And, um, and, then, and then this happened. So I'm, I'm experiencing the greatest loss of my life. You know, mm-hmm. I lose my mom, I lose my, job I lose my almost my identity yeah. you know because I've there been a cop go. since I was 19 yeah Man. right that's that's who I am that's, that's before your brain is even totally <laughs> exactly right and, <clears throat> and I gotta tell you it was it was devastating to me um, suddenly 
I'm not who I who I was. What year would this have been? 2010. Wow. Okay. And um, now, when I look back on what took place then, I realize that what I thought was the worst thing that could ever happen to me, in reality, gave me the opportunity to touch more lives than I ever could have as a Come on. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so... I'm a great believer that things happen for a reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a divine appointment, even in something negative, like like you're talking about. Uh, exactly. There's, there's a divine appointment. I mean, I'm a two-time cancer survivor. Uh, Jesus saved my life. There's no, I mean, factual evidence uh, that Jesus saved my life, which propelled me, really, a lot into what I do today, just like you're talking about. Yeah. That moment, though devastating, um, really shot you into the future to be able to touch so many lives uh, that you touch now. It's amazing. Now, let me ask you about that. So from the cop perspective, you said that uh, you your career came to an end, not necessarily what you were wanting because of the stroke, but how did that transition occur with your agency and all those other things? Because that's what every officer wants to know, right? Because you're on duty and, and working and this occurs, was that treated as like a line of duty retirement or what was the situation? I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what every cop yeah. wants to know right now. <laughs> that's the right. They're thinking. And, and I'm going to tell you a story because it was, <clears throat> it was once again, um, what I thought was the worst that could possibly happen. And, and what happened was shocking to me. And that was my own department turned its back on me. Mm. Um, you know, here's an agency that I served with for 24 years, right. almost gave my life for on several occasions. And I have this, this stroke and I, you know, do all the paperwork and the workers comp stuff and it's in statute, right? This is very clear cut statute. This is a workers compensation injury mm-hmm. and they deny it. Mm. They just said, no. And I, <laughs> I said, wait a minute, hold on a second. <clears throat> It's in said, statute. This is, this is in statute, and they said, "Yeah, uh, but no, we're denying it." Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, it was I never felt so alone, that and and abandoned. I felt like, how do you treat me like this? In fact, I went to go see the sheriff, who I served with for twenty four years. Wow! And I said, "How do you treat me like this?" Mm. And he looked me right in the eye. I'll never forget this. And he said, "Randy, this isn't personal, man. It's just business." Hmm. I'll never forget those words. You know how many it's officers experience that. You well, know? you see, and, and here once again, it is that moment, that time, that that actually created what I do now. Yeah, that gave birth. Even that that was just the, that was the seed that started um, my understanding because I it was incomprehensible to me. Sure, it is to incomprehensible me. to me. And they forced me to get a lawyer. Mm-hmm. They forced me to go to court. They spent tens of thousands of dollars of taxpayers' money to fight me, knowing that they were going to have to pay. And I came to find out later that they were playing what they called the numbers game. Mm-hmm. And they were hoping that in that year it was going to take to fight me, that I was going to die. Mm. That's oh, what the, my Lord. That's what they were hoping for. Mm. Because, or give up. Or quit. One or yeah. the other, Right. And because if they if I died, 
then they wouldn't have to pay me. Well, it is the city of gambling. I mean, yeah, were, yeah, were, yeah. But, were, but the Russian the, roulette is. But here's the reality: this is happening all across that's exactly America. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so let's, if I can, just transition a little bit. Yeah. Into, yeah. so I now. So this is just twelve years ago. That's the important thing for people to understand, yes. right? Yeah, actually, it's not like it's ten years ago, right? Or twelve? Yeah, 12, yeah, ten years 12. ago. <clears throat> so 10, I, 12 years ago. I give, so I, I, that's not very long ago. Right. Well, it seems like a lifetime to me. I know it does, but right? I mean, if you think about it, it's, that's pretty recent. It is. It is. So now I'm, and by the way, then the doctors told me, Randy, um, you should probably prepare for your own mortality as well. Hmm. They found out that I had a serious heart condition. Wow. And that's what actually caused the stroke. Mm-hmm. So now... Here I now this is all going on within a you know relatively short period of time. I lose my mom, I lose my job. Now the doctors have told me you better come to terms with your own death. Mm-hmm. And this is not anything that I had experienced. You know, I yeah. I'm processing all this, and uh, and I'm thinking about my legacy. I'm thinking about okay, Randy, mm. you know what what are you going to be remembered for? Mm. You know, and yeah, this because this became this be Again, a, a lifelong to this day um, uh, intellectual exercise in my brain. How are you going to be? How are you going to be remembered? Hmm. You're right? And and what are you going to be remembered for? And so that actually, I was. That's what was going on in my brain. And I'm thinking. Now, I, by this time, I'd already written three books. Um, I'd written my first one was uh, called True Blue. Hmm. Um, Stories, uh, police stories by those who have lived them. Yeah, that's the one. I, that's the one and the I reason like. I did that. Now I never intended to be a writer, right. just like I've never intended to do anything other than be a cop. <laughs> I always was going to intended to be a cop, but the rest of of my life has always been completely yeah. different and not anything that I had intended. I just followed the path yeah. that was given to me. Right? And then you wrote uh, a cop's life, I think. Right. Right. So I did. I did. One? I did True Blue uh, after the World Trade Center was attacked. Okay. And wow. I wanted to do something <clears throat> for those families. And I had had a life-changing experience when I saved the life of a, of a baby um, three years before who had been shot in the face in a drive-by shooting. Mm. And that night I went home and uh, me and a bottle of scotch and a, and a pen and a yellow pad, and I wrote the story about, about her name. Her name was Jackie. And um, I didn't have anything. I just felt like I needed to tell that story. Right. Just to write it now. Get it out. And I put it in a drawer and it sat there until the World Trade Center was attacked. Wow. wow. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, every cop I know has a story. Has a story. Like that. I'm going to ask them to write those stories, put them in a book, and then I'm going to give all the royalties to the widows and orphans hmm. for the cops who got killed because that mm-hmm. was the deadliest day in law enforcement history. So that's exactly what I did. And through, um, now remember at this time, if you didn't have a publisher, you didn't have a book. Right. And through a, a, just another set of just crazy circumstances, that book came to fruition. Um, a friend of, of mine who I knew from, he'd been the judge at a writing contest where I won first place for that story, <laughs> was an NYPD guy. Huh. Oh, wow. And he was, he was a, a very popular novelist. So it turns out he's friends with the editor-in-chief at St. Martin's Press. Actually walks my wow. manuscript in and says, "You need to read this," hmm. and that's how. Then I and I, I donated yeah. every penny to the to the Widows and Orphans Fund. And that's what began my writing career because the editor in chief of St. Martin said, "I want you to write your own book." 
your own stories, and that's a cop's life. Yeah, and that's still selling pretty well. Yeah, um, there's there's actually police academies that use that book. Is yeah, that right. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. because it uh, it's and it's a dark book, man. I got to tell you. Yeah, <laughs> it's a dark book. Yeah. But it gives um, a realistic perspective, that gives, especially right. for new officers, which right. is what we often find, right? Exactly. Is you think you know what it's about, and then that disillusionment sets in. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then the question Hello. becomes, how do you work through that disillusionment, right? And and here's, I learned a really, really valuable lesson, which carries over into today, from doing that book. Because cops started contacting me, saying, Randy, thank you for doing that book, because I thought I was alone in my feelings. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 a cop's life, especially. I mean, I hundreds of, of cops connected with me over that, and 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 thanked me because they. I, I came to realize we we feel so isolated from everybody else because when we experience what we experience with all the trauma that we see, and all the cruelty and all the violence, and we're processing this. And and it, and it and tears us up sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. But nobody wants to show that. You know, we put on this amazing facade, literally for years sometimes, mm-hmm. and we think that we are alone. And yeah. then that's why what we do with Wound to Blue is so critically important. That is awesome. That yeah. um, that we're not alone. Well, and can I say something about that? What I find too is this. Tell me if this is wrong, but you also there aren't many people that you can talk to about it. People will tell you, and they always want to hear your cop stories, and they always ask you the questions, did you do this, did yeah. you do that, right? And I always tell people this, you think you want to know <laughs> yeah. until somebody actually starts telling you. And within mm-hmm. a matter of seconds, most people say, mm, yeah. I don't. Yeah, it, I, I can't do it. That yeah. becomes too real exactly, and yeah. too detailed. Well, then the officer feels even more isolated. Yes. And then you get into this kind of like in, in an OODA loop where – you're reliving it and stepping through it, and then you even feel like you can't even talk to your peer officers about it, yep. right? 100%. And uh, so I think what you're saying is a lot of times when an officer steps out like that, does a book, a manuscript, even a podcast like this right. or whatnot, I think it gives voice to a lot of officers. It does. And then they can identify with that and say, hey, oh, that's yeah, me right that. there, yeah. right? It's oh, critical. I'm not the only one. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. And so you say this led to a project called Wounded Blue. Tell us a little bit well, about bef- that. Well, before that, so, you know, I, I was telling you this, a little bit about the, the books that I had written previously. Right. So now I'm, I'm experiencing, you know, the loss of everything, and I'm trying to figure out what my legacy is going to be. Hmm. And I knew it was going to be a book, but I didn't know what it was going to be. And then one day I'm watching... Uh, some some news interview um, daytime show and there's an interview that I, I watched and it was with a man named Frank Shankwitz now that may that name may not ring a bell to you but what he did will he was the man who created the Make-A-Wish Foundation oh wow and very few people know this he was an Arizona State Trooper is that right when wow. he created Make-A-Wish he was and he was he had a 40 year police career Right. Wow. So he created Make-A-Wish based on an experience that he had with a seven-year-old boy who was dying of cancer. Hmm. And his, his, and I'm listening to his story about this, of, of what he, how this came to be, this, this amazing organization, was from his experience with this little boy who was dying of cancer, leukemia, seven years old. And he made his wish come true by 
becoming a trooper. Mm. And they gave me the uniform. And, mm-hmm. and, oh, uh, a- and I mean, I sat there riveted. Yeah. And, and, I, and it was like somebody rang the bell. That's it. I want to talk to people like Frank Shankwitz. People go. who have done so much with their lives. And I wanted to say to them, I want to know about who it was in your life that, that made you want to give back. And that gave rise to the fourth book, and that's called The Power of Legacy. Personal Heroes of America's Most Inspiring People. Frank Shankwitz was my first interview, Hmm. became a lifelong friend, and helped me to create The Wounded Blue. Wow. How about that? How's that for a legacy? Wow. That's That's a a legacy. legacy. Yeah. So you said earlier, um, I'm not going to let you get away from this, talking about (laughs) having this sense of losing your identity. And, uh, you know, we find that a lot with officers, even spouses, family members tend to lose their identity because, you know, as we all know, spouses and family, they don't, they didn't sign on to the job yet. They still feel like they lose their identity because they become different. They're a cop's wife, a cop's husband, son, daughter, whatever the case may be. And what we keep finding, especially in this day and age, especially over the last few years, where cops have been demonized, dehumanized, demoralized. It really has been about stripping them of their identity. That's a fact. We've made things like the television show Cops and other versions of those kinds of shows that were shut down, right? Literally. And said, take yeah. that off the air. We don't want to see that or hear that. Now, now there's been a resurgence um, in that. But it, it, I think people saw that there was a real programmed approach to try to strip <laughs> law enforcement officers and their families of their identity. Yes. And what we're trying to do with this podcast is really have this biblical perspective on policing, talking about the physical wellness issues, the mental, emotional wellness issues, but really trying to get at the heart of the matter and really trying to have some of these conversations about, you know, what if you have a different identity and you find your identity in something else rather than just yourself or your circumstance, uh, maybe a challenge that you've gone through, but really find your identity through a faith and something bigger than yourself Yeah, and uh, being unashamed about talking about that. And um, I'd like to just get your perspective on that because people, especially cops, they hear of your career, you know, all these years, all these experiences, all the trauma, the drama, all that stuff. And invariably what I find out is what people think <laughs> you're about or, your experiences say about you is what about this more inner man component where um, the spiritual aspect to it what are your thoughts about that that's a fascinating topic mm. now I mentioned just a little bit earlier when I was telling you about what happened with the stroke mm-hmm. um, that 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 angel on my shoulder mm. right yeah well when I when When I talk about that, I mean that almost um, reverently Mm. because to me, that angel has been very real. Yeah, sure. Right. So the the first um, major gunfight I was in, I never should have survived it. Mm. I mean, literally, he and I were closer than you and I are. Holy schmoly. And um, he was uh, what we now call an active shooter. 
mm-hmm. at that time. We just called it a guy shooting at people, right? <laughs> <laughs> didn't have a, didn't have a fancy term. Yeah. Um, so he was shooting at kids at a high school dance. Wow. And um, I was the second unit to get there. Um, he was dressed all in black. He had a shoulder holster on, bandoliers of ammunition, a sword. And he was shooting at kids at a high school dance. Wow. And so uh, the radio report came out. I was literally two blocks away. Hmm. And uh, um, the helicopter, first it was such a bizarre sounding call that, right. I, that I thought it was fake. But within seconds I knew it was real because there were two couples on a double date following him. And, and they were on the phone with 911. Okay, he's shooting at the kids again. They're diving for cover. Well, then he realized he's being followed by this car. And he turns around and he fires at them. And the bullet goes through the windshield between the heads of the two couples, Ooh. at which point the driver decided he'd done his civic duty. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah you got it from here. By yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and now I pull on to, onto the street, and another unit is getting there, two cops in. And I see them. they've got their headlights and their spotlights on this guy. And um, he's dressed exactly like like the report. He's got the gun in his hand, and he's walking directly towards this patrol car. So I'm expecting in the next few seconds that I'm going to see that they're going to shoot him, or he's going to surrender, or he's going to shoot himself. So all these scenarios are, are rolling, you know, just as every cop does. You know, sure. you're you're in, getting the input of information, trying to anticipate. and you have. You have literally milliseconds to, to make decisions based on your observations, right? So I'm ex- fully expecting one of these outcomes to happen before I get there as I'm pulling up. But he does something that nobody ever thinks about. He literally nonchalantly walked towards those officers, took the gun, put it back in his shoulder holster, and just <laughs> walked right past Kept him. walking. And the two officers are like, what do we do now, right? Mm-hmm. It was a it was a, a FTO and his mm-hmm. trainee. So now I jump out of my car. Our helicopter has gotten above us, and uh, and the and the suspect starts walking up an apartment driveway, and there's a big group of people watching mm-hmm. all this, right? Oh, this, wow. this is better than cops, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't know that this guy that's walking towards them has got a gun and has already been shooting at people. We don't even know if anybody's been hit because we don't have anybody at the school yet, right? So I can't let him get to those people. Right. Right? <clears throat> and this is the moment that we train for, right? Every, this is every single moment of our careers, we anticipate the possibility of the use of deadly force. Mm-hmm. We train in the academy. We train every single month, you know, in, in, in the bigger departments, when, with the mm-hmm. firearms training. And, and this, is the, this is that moment. And, but... To take a human life or to to use deadly force is not just a professional decision. That's exactly It's a personal right. decision. Is, yeah. And I didn't want to shoot the guy in the back. And spiritual. Yeah. Oh, very much so. And I didn't want to shoot him in the back. So I decided I was going to take him physically. Which still would have been justified in those circumstances. Perfectly justified. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I ran up behind him and um, he hears me the last minute and I've got my gun in my hand. And he turns, and when he turns, I, I do a flying kick into his abdomen. 
thinking that my mighty blow is going to knock him down and I'm going to cuff him up, et cetera. Right? <laughs> my, mighty my mighty blow. <laughs> and, and it didn't quite work out like that. <laughs> yeah. mm. So when I kicked him, he went down, like his head came down, and he came up with a gun. And he drew. He had drawn his weapon when he went down and came up. And literally, our gun muzzles were almost touching. Mm. Jesus. And we both fired at exactly the same time. And I fired twice and then my gun jammed. Mm. The nightmare that every cop has, yeah. right? Racket. And my, yeah. my gun, now, now I'm going click, click, click. And Ooh. he's going boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's he's a foot away from me. And I'm, and I'm thinking, this is what it's like to die, mm-hmm. right? This is sure. what, what's it going to feel like when that bullet enters my body? And I've heard many officers say that same thing. Yeah. yeah. Because time slows down. Sure. Yeah. And uh, my gun's not working. And I got no place to go. You know, there's, I'm in a parking lot. But my training and my instincts took over, and I, I don't want to die, you know. So I, I roll down onto my back, and I'm, from side to side, and I'm trying to clear my gun, and he's trying to shoot me, right? So, so he's trying to shoot me. He, I'm, zinging from side <laughs> to side. Holy smoke! Little pieces of asphalt are hitting me in the head from where he's he's firing. Our helicopter is right above us, and their rotor wash is hitting. You know, I'm now getting hit with sticks and rocks. All right, and I'm, it's madness, madness. And they the the helicopter sees his muzzle flash and sees me go down. So what do they radio? Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And officer, officer down, down, shots fired. Yeah, the two cops that were there before me, they figure now's a good time to open up on this guy. Mm-hmm. So now their bullets are zinging over my head too. I don't know who to be more afraid of, right? Yeah, him or them. And um, and then my old partner drives in and aims his patrol car at this guy. And he's just going to run his ass over, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a good theory, but what happens in a, in, a, in, in a critical incident like this, there's physical things that happen, right? right. Including tunnel vision. So, so my old partner didn't see these big cement stanchions that were in the way. <laughs> And he hits it at about 30 miles an hour wow. and the patrol car like exploded. Mm-hmm. But it took the guy's attention away from me mm-hmm. when he heard that massive, you know, crash. Yeah. And I got to, and I got up, got my gun working again, and now we're banging it out again. And we're toe to toe. This is like an old west holy shooting. Holy right? Mm-hmm. And I'm and, and I riveting. And I, I actually emptied my mag. Do a combat reload. And and I remember thinking this: I'm the world's worst shot <laughs> because nothing's nothing stopping, stopping this stopping. guy, right? Yeah. And he turns and he runs. I run after him. My partner runs after him. And uh, I'm going to tell you this because it's it's really germane to what where what happens today. Okay, so he runs around the corner. We run around the corner. He's hiding behind a a bush. Yep. And I hear him scream, die, and then a expletive, a expletive <laughs> die. And that's where I just emptied my gun again, and my partner did too, and that ended the gunfight. Now, um, I never got hit. Oh, I by the way, I didn't. I didn't have my vest on. Wow, cold. I never got cow. touched. Hmm. Never, never. I didn't sustain any injury from whatsoever. a foot away. A foot away. Now, what many people wouldn't understand that don't 
do the job is in some respects that'll screw with your head more than if you had been hit. Right. It was a life changing event for me. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm going to tell you this. We often hear of post-traumatic stress injury, post-traumatic stress trauma, mm-hmm. um, dis, you know, disorder. Disorder. Yeah. There is also post-traumatic stress growth. Growth, yeah. yeah. And it's a topic that's not talked about as much as it should. That's right. right. And when, you know, when I was talking about the, the um, intellectual and emotional growth that you, that you achieve as a cop that you can achieve, mm-hmm. that began... A, a, a different journey for me that night and became the journey of why mm. Mm. right yeah why did I live that night and he not yeah. mm-hmm. and and I believe man that's powerful so when I talk about the angel yeah it's for real it's for real yeah so now what a powerful story because I mean but here's the thing. So, you know, so many officers will relate to every bit of that. Um, like you said, even if it's just when then thinking, right? And being having a prepared mindset for potential for those kinds of interactions and whatnot. And I think what's m- moving about all of that is here again, the officers, they'll relate and they'll get the physical aspect of all that. They'll get the the mental part of all of that but really what you're talking about is you came to a fundamental fork in the road on this spiritual aspect when you start getting into the why and you start seeing like you said and this this is where officers can get trapped or they can grow yes, yeah. is when you get into this cycle of um, all things happen for a reason right you've said that yep and then you're also told, if you believe in a God, that God is in control of all things. And here's where the fundamental fork in the road comes. Do you take those two and combine them and say, all things happen for a reason and God is in control of all things. Therefore, when something bad happens, that must be God who did that, which I would suggest is a trap. But because it, it leaves out one other component, which is there is truly evil in this world. Oh, there's man. good and there's evil and every officer knows it because you witness it firsthand almost every single night you every work night. Yep. that's why we say you're standing the thin blue line it separates good from evil and when you're standing on that line you cannot remove evil the spirit of evil from the equation and so the point we keep trying to demonstrate to officers is listen everything happens for a reason God is ultimately in control of all things, but there is also evil that is in this world, and we also have free will as well. And the way that you often can work through that with growth is recognizing that God doesn't cause bad things to happen. He can use them. He can use them for his good, our good, but he doesn't cause bad things to happen. There is an evil one who does that. And I think when officers get a hold of that, they have that realization even if they can't put words to it, they, they're at that fork and they can go one of two ways. And I think that's the power of what you said, that we don't talk enough about the post-traumatic <clears throat> growth that is available and that's there. And you talk about an angel, right? And obviously the spiritual touch that you've had, 
how much do you hear of that in law enforcement these days? No, you never hear it. You never <laughs> hear it. But and look at what it gave birth to. Right. Look, that's that's the key part of that yes. post traumatic growth yes. is it can give birth to greater things that actually aid, help, strengthen, bless others. Others, not only yourself but others. It realigns your purpose with a divine purpose and element to it that you've been using now since that moment to bless and touch other lives, which also blesses and touches you because you have a sense of why. You you do get that question answered. Why? Well, for times such as this, a time like this where we're going to talk about it in a few minutes where uh, you're doing uh, the the ministry to these wounded uh, law enforcement officers and providing training and uh, and helping people rebuild their lives after they've been devastated by such an event like what you had, and they were hit, or they were shot, or they right. were in a car accident. Or, where they've had their fork they, in the road. That's right, where they've had their fork in the road, and providing them um, a very realistic faith, a footprint in their life towards healing. Uh, and that journey of why continues to this day. Yeah. It's yeah. Once that once, once that, you ignite that that is right. Once yeah. that, switch, that switch switch is done, <laughs> you're it's 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 part of who you are. Yeah. It's often awesome. And um but I want to just touch on one thing as it as so I told you about what you know what ended the gunfight, right? Where the where I where he screamed die yeah die, yeah. right? So my my old partner and I, we never talked about that night. Hmm. Now he and I had been in the academy together, we lived together. Wow. And we, you know, we're in our first fatal shooting together, right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty powerful stuff. Wow. Mm-hmm. But that, after that night happened, of course, we did what all cops did at that time. <clears throat> we went out and got drunk. Right. And uh, that was the coping. That was the, yeah. And uh, and we never talked about it again for years. Think Seriously. about that. For never years. Never said another never word. Never said another word about it. That's not that uncommon. Uh, and, you know, I come, like, now I know that. Yeah. But I, but but I you, yeah. So years later, I'm going to say probably 10 years later, maybe not that much, but pretty close. We're in a bar and we're sitting there talking. And for some reason, that night came up. Hmm. Wow. And and we're talking it over. And, and I said, how about that crazy son of a guy gun? <laughs> and, yeah. Um, you know, screaming, die. Mm-hmm. And, and he didn't say anything. And I, I see him in the mirror, and he's just looking at me. Mm. And I, I turn on my, and the New Jersey came out in me. I said, "What are you looking at? What? Yeah, what are you, what are you looking, looking at?" at? <laughs> and he says, "You, you really don't know, do you?" And I said, "Don't know what?" He said, "He never said a word. That was you." Mm. And I looked at him. I went, "What?" <laughs> and wow. he said, "That was you screaming." Mm. Now, let me ask you something. Hmm. This was in the days before body cams. What do you think would happen to an officer today? Yeah. If while he's shooting someone, he's screaming at him, die, die. Right? When you're in combat, Hmm. whether you're a cop or you're a soldier, you are in combat. And this is one of the things we have failed to do as as a law enforcement um, in law enforcement is to is to explain 
in reality terms what happens in combat. Yeah. Instead, we suppress it. Yeah. And we don't allow the warrior spirit to happen because of the the term. Mm -hmm. But you are, and you better be, prepared to be a warrior. Oh, absolutely. And so now I, I look at that and I say, the, if, if that had happened in, in this day and age, I would have been indicted. But I, that was survival wanna, instinct exactly. coming out in you. I want to read this scripture because this scripture came to my heart this morning. I want you guys to listen to this scripture. Yeah. It's, it says, I have cried. What's the address? Where it's, it's Lamentations chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Okay. Uh, for those who are looking. But, but he says, I, I have cried until my tears no longer come. We've helped people like that. We've helped officers like that where you just can't cry anymore. It says, my heart is broken. My spirit is poured out in agony as I see the desperate plight of my people. Little children and tiny babies are fainting and dying in the streets. They cry out to their mothers, we need food and drink. Their lives ebb away in the streets like the life of a warrior wounded in battle. They gasp for life as they collapse in their in their mother's arms, and and that when I, that scripture came to mind about wounded, the warrior who's wounded in battle, and that's really what what you're talking about, is that there is an there's an anguish, there's a uh, we don't do a great. I think for science has probably done the most research and study on what happens. Uh, to the human psyche, the human spirit, the human body, when you're faced with having to make those decisions like you made. In that desperate moment where you're trying to survive and you got your partner with you, uh, that is what you're hoping. Mm-hmm. I've been shooting at you now for uh, two clips trying to get I've, – I've been – for some reason, the, your bullets aren't finding me. Uh, tonight I'm probably going to be the instrument that God uses to take you off the planet. Uh, so die, please die. W- would you? I mean, you didn't use the word please, but no, I didn't. No, but but that is. I mean, that brings in context the effect that this battle deal that officers are in today on the streets can bring into your life the pain of these moments in this situation uh, where you don't talk to somebody, you don't even talk to your closest partner. Uh, I guarantee you thought about it. Oh, that that moment's never far from my, right. my conscience. Always right there. Right. Yeah. Well, and that gets back to where you don't just have, it's not about being wounded physically all the time, right? We now know That's with right. post-traumatic growth and, issues that your brain is really bruised it gets shocked by critical incidents and we're now better understanding that working through that with wellness components and things like that which is great yes is absolutely great absolutely but what i keep finding and it's why me personally rick has really kind of drawn this line in the sand for myself which is what you said just a minute ago we don't talk about the wound to the spirit of the officer Right. And I think that's the game changer. And the more that we do that, that's why we're doing this and having these tough discussions. And 
I have no problem speaking to people, fellow cops about it anymore. Cause I'm tired of watching so many of them being taken out by this. Yeah. I mean, we were just talking last night, Chicago, they're averaging an officer dying from suicide almost every single month. It is incredible. We now have survivors of blue suicide. That's just been launched under the concerns of police survivors umbrella. First, I'm sorry, the second national conference was just held here right. in Indiana. Um, and we're seeing uh, national legislation that's now taking effect related to that, all these other things. But again, we keep talking about, and like you said, we used to deal with it by, you know, drinking at the bar. But you know what? It got a lot of folks through. doesn't make it right, but a lot of folks through and a lot of folks that did not. But it was because we never want to get around to talking about this issue. And I think the courage of men like you, women in the in the field who are willing to put themselves out there to not only tell their stories but talk about that that's where officers connect because as much as we don't talk about all this other stuff we definitely <laughs> don't talk about that and uh what would your message be to officers out there on that front well, I have a lot of messages. <laughs> my, my life is about messaging now. My yeah. life is, is about you are not alone. Yeah. That, that, and you're, and you're normal. <laughs> you're normal when, you know, that's, that's like the crazy, that's right. right? Yeah. We think that there's something wrong with us if we're feeling that yeah, way, right? Yeah. Right. Whatever that yeah. way is. Yeah. Right. Because whatever that is, is normal. For you, yeah. for you, no one processes the same the way. same way. Nope. That that officer who was standing there with me when we had that gunfight, he didn't process it the same way, right? As I did, right? Yeah. So we, you can you can literally be side by side, side, by side. experience this 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 life changing moment, and the way you process it is going to be different than the way that other guy did. That's right. And all of it's normal. And all of it's normal. That's right. Exactly. And and I want to say something since we're talking about this very grave issue to those who are watching tonight or today, whatever it is. Um, God isn't holding you accountable the way you think he is because you had to take a life. Mm-hmm. The Bible, Oh, well, now, Pastor, you know, the Bible says uh, that thou shalt not kill. Well, actually, in the Hebrew, it says thou shalt not murder. Uh, or God would have not sent his people out to do battle and to wipe out whole uh, groups of people because of what they were trying to do against the Israelites in the Old Testament, even moving forward to the New Testament. The Hebrew word murder means to take a life unjustifiable. Hmm. Uh, when we, uh, when you have to take a life or you have to do what you had to do that night, that's justifiable. And even though the coroner may put on the death certificate homicide, it's justifiable homicide. And God doesn't judge you for that life like you may have been told or some activist may have screamed at you across the line. Uh, God deals with that because you stood between evil again mm-hmm. and good, and you did not what you wanted to do, but what you had to do. You did what was necessary. Man. To protect yourself and others. So many officers need to hear that. And you need to be free in your heart. Uh, the Lord's going to deal with you righteously. And that righteous judgment is uh, you were an instrument that night of protecting other human beings. Mm-hmm. And you protected way more life than the life you were forced to take. That's why we call it use of force 
because you're forced to use force above the force that's being used towards yourself or others. And so I'm grateful that you did what you did because otherwise we wouldn't have met. I wouldn't get to know you. It would have and, been a, uh, it would have been a very bad night for me. It would have been a very bad night for you. And for other, by the way, my first two shots hit him dead in the chest. Yeah, so he was still going. He still. and so when I when I great lesson. Well, you know when I go on, you know Fox or one of the you know news mm-hmm. stations yeah. about use of force, which I do frequently, and I see the criticism by the media. Well, why did you have to shoot him so many times? Right. You know? Or Always. even charging police officers because they didn't like the number of shots that right. were fired, right? right? That's happening now across America too, right. which is absolutely disgusting to me. Yeah. I think about that moment, and, I, and I, 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 I wish I could just you know, scream at the top of my lungs, it ain't like TV. That's right. Right? Yeah. This guy had 43 gunshot wounds by the time we were done. And mm. forty-three guy, yeah. and he was still going. So it, oh. it it isn't like TV, right? You know where we where we see you know somebody gets shot and they all oh, they you know fly across fly the across fly the back, room, right? Yeah. right. Just, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, so, it's a baloney. So yeah, it, and and um, you know that's one of the the realities. But none of it, none of us can really be prepared fully for it. You know, you'd never know. Yeah how you're going to react under those circumstances. That's right. I heard one one old cop used to call used to talk about it he called a face in the dragon. Mm. And nobody knows how they're going to really experience facing the dragon until they face the dragon. Who was yeah. it? Mike Tyson said uh, nobody really knows how good in a fight they are till they get punched in the face. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And most guys quit. You get punched in the face. I, okay, I don't want to do this. So you know, I mean, so I was a field training officer for my entire career. I was involved in the field training. Even as a patrol officer, I was an FTO. As a sergeant, I was an FTO sergeant. Mm-hmm. As a lieutenant, I was an FTO lieutenant. Wow. Because to me, the FTOs are the unsung heroes of, of law enforcement. Agreed. 100%. They have they have probably the most important job on the department is taking. And most impactful. Most impactful, right? Yeah. And so I was an FTO, and I had this uh, this officer that I was training. He was in the last phase of his training. He was stellar. So he was a pastor, hmm. right? And he was an older guy. He was. He, we don't have an age requirement in Vegas, mm-hmm. so he was about forty years old, had a lot of life's experience, and he was sailing through the the FTO program. I mean, the guy could talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, he could de-escalate. He could. He could. I mean, he he was. He, we were just checking off the boxes till he, you know, till he was going to be on his own. Yeah. And then one night, um, we got a call. It was a robbery in progress, and this was like a movie, mm-hmm. right? We were literally half a block away. Um, it was in a strip center. A guy in one store turned off all his lights. And was walking towards his front door to leave, and he sees a car pull up, blacked out, and a guy jump out with a ski mask and a, okay. and a, and a, and a machine gun. Hmm. And he runs into Holy the shit. neighbor's neighboring store, and he and he calls nine one one. He's watching. He says, "There, he's he's pistol whipping the women." And we are literally pulling into the while it's still in progress. Mm-hmm. Wow! So I tell him to grab a shotgun. And uh, and I and I we pull up, and it was jump out, 
I'm assessing, you know, I can see that at that moment, this guy is running towards us. He, and he had a bag of money in one hand and a machine gun in the other. <laughs> I mean, you don't get That is like TV. It is like TV, that right? Is like, and so as he's coming towards us, I'm evaluating, and, I, and I, this, is, this is what I thought. I should shoot this guy right now. Mm-hmm. As he comes out, just shoot him. Yeah. And at the moment that he burst through the door, instead I challenged him. I said, police drop the gun. And he couldn't throw that gun away fast enough. And threw him down on the, on the ground, cuffed him behind, and I said to my, my, my rookie, watch him while I went in there to assess if they needed yeah. medical, right? So I go in there, check them. They're okay. I come back out, and my officer has got the shotgun screwed into this guy's forehead. Mm-hmm. And he's sweating. And he's mumbling, don't make me use deadly force. Don't make me use deadly force. As he's got his, mm-hmm. and his finger on the trigger. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh my God, he's going to blow this guy's brains all over the sidewalk, right? So I gently go over to him. And I take the shotgun away. And I said, go sit down in the car. And I turn this, this or the, he was now face up. He, he had turned him. So to face, right, right, rip the mask off him. Kid was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And he said to me when I took the mask off, he says, I should have killed you when I had the chance. Expletive. And I realized I made a serious mistake. I should have killed him. Hmm. I should have killed him. When I look back on my career, that was one of the things, because I knew that I had a stone cold killer here. Well, because you fit, saw evil. Right? And and when he got out of juvie, he killed a woman in a wheelchair and murdered her. Mm. Mm. That's one of the moments that I look back on my career and I say, I should have I should have pulled I should have pulled the trigger on that one and didn't. I could have saved a life. Well, I think that kind of gets into some of the guilt that sometimes officers get themselves wrapped up into. I think it's also why it's so powerful what you're doing now and we wanted to have you here to talk about a lot of these different things but also yeah. specifically talk about this conference you have coming up we're getting close on time here and i yeah. want to make sure that we talk about this make sure that officers know about it because it really sounds like a great <laughs> multi-day opportunity oh gosh. to kind of download all the junk we go through but also get built back up yeah. talking about these very issues tell us a little bit about it Okay, so my organization is the Wounded Blue, and we are the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Officers. National charity. We've helped more than 13,000 police officers in the last two and a half years. Say that again, more than 13,000 that we've had an effect. In the last two years? Two and a half years. Wow. Almost three. Almost three now. Wow. And and it was born from all of these experiences. Hmm. It was born from... Um, what I experienced and then police officers from around the country because of my visibility in the law enforcement community started connecting with me said, with these horrible stories, Randy. I was shot in the line of duty. My chief never came to visit me in the hospital. They're not paying my medical bills. And I came to understand that this is a national issue. Yeah. And I thought, wait a minute, there's got to be an organization like cops yeah. for these officers who've been injured right. and discovered that there was none. 
And again, cops as concerns of police survivors right. for line of duty deaths. Correct. Yeah, not the TV show. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, we are the cops for injured officers. I see. And so I based I based our peer support program on cops, concerns of police survivors. So part of the our mission And you work with that organization too. You, oh, you absolutely. help with fundraisers for cops and Yes their executive team and whatnot in terms of fundraising and things like that too. We work very closely together. Yeah. We work good. very closely together. Good. Diane Bernhardt from, from concerns of police survivors. Great friend, great person. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. In fact, she, she was instrumental when I, I actually went to her before I created the organization Yeah, for advice. And she said, Randy, we've been looking for someone to do this. That's she, awesome. We can't that handle the, right. So we're hoping to have her on here sometime. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's, she's great. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's, yeah. so, um, um, our mission is to improve the lives of injured and disabled officers through support, education, assistance, and legislation. All so right. now we're going to talk about the education part because it's critical. All right. So th- we are having and hosting in Terre Haute. Terre Haute. <laughs> from Nevada. October 11th <laughs> through the 14th, the second annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. Awesome. That's and this is... this. And this, to me, is one of the most important things that we as an organization can do. We did it last year. It was amazing. It's phenomenal. I'm and it's every about it. aspect about surviving a law enforcement career, yeah. physically, tactically, emotionally, psychologically, your families, your relationships. Yeah. Spiritually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spiritually. In fact, you, you mentioned Four Science. Yeah. Von Klein from Four Science is one this of the yeah. presenters. Wow. Okay. Um, Mark Lamb, Sheriff Mark Lamb, is, yeah. is going to be a presenter. David Betsy Smith. You know, and here, here's the here's the weird way that the world works. Dave Smith <laughs> is one of the most famous police trainers in the country. Yep. He, he was Buck Savage. That's Buck right. Buck Savage. And always I had, watch the hands. Always. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so he and his wife, Betsy, who is a retired police sergeant uh, from uh, uh, Illinois, they were the lead instructors for the Caliber Press Street Survival Street Center. Street Survival. That's what I, I was raised on. Me too. Yeah. Well, rem- remember, remember, the, one of the things that, that that they drilled into you was crisis rehearsal. That's right. Always see yourself as a winner. Always put that. And I tell you right Mental now that I believe that that's what saved my life when I, when I had that shooting. Had, sure, yeah. because I had I had practiced crisis rehearsal. Brother, and I, I could saw tell myself. you all about this positive self talk. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Card. Right. I love so it. So David and Betsy uh, Smith are going to... And it's right here. It's, yeah. <laughs> it really is truly right no, here. No, it really is. Book. Yeah. But but yeah, street survival seminar is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. So they're they're part of the instructor team. So literally, if, if a police officer has one training opportunity to go through a year, it is this National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. If your department will send you... Go by yourself. You know, this is yeah. one of the things that that I, I have to I just I have to get get very real here. Your department probably doesn't give a damn about you. Mm. You have to care about yourself. You're worth you the to, investment. You're worth the and and if here's the other thing, it's two hundred ninety five bucks. Right. If you can't afford it, we'll find a scholarship for you. Come yeah. on, it's that important. Yeah. That's it's awesome. that important. Yeah. So I urge any of your law enforcement officers. Active duty or retired, because remember, you retire, you're still dealing with the trauma. Sure, That's exactly are. right. And this is every aspect 
of surviving that career. Yeah. I really like that you point that out. So you're also inviting retired Correct. officers yes. come to this and redeem some of that yes. junk you've been carrying and, around. And, and bring your wife and or your spouse or your husband. Yeah. Wow. Right. Can, can I read off some topics here right quick? Yeah, that sure. You're gonna be, the speakers are going to cover. Listen to this, guys. The winning mind, the importance of spiritual wellness, surviving police leadership, yeah, post-traumatic <laughs> stress growth that we were just talking about, building resiliency, healing as a family after a line of duty death or severe injury. We deal with that all the time. We know what that's uh, incredible and inspirational stories of survival, PTSD, the real signs. Man, these are some... Just some and it's powerful. A, it's a four-day conference, yes, right? It's so tell the dates again. October 11th through the 14th. Wow, in it's Ter- coming up in Terre Haute. So yeah, it's only Terre Haute, month away. Indiana, on the border with Illinois. Yep. So, yeah. so, uh, so your your website is www.thewoundedblue.org, and there's a registration page. Yep. So people can go to that site. Yep. And hit the registration page. I'm sure you've got. PayPal or something there. Exactly. And if you can't afford it, you just contact me, Randy, at thewoundedblue.org, and we'll find a scholarship for you. Because we're we're working with two amazing local charities. Oh, that's awesome. That are are part of this. And one... uh, Can you uh, share who those are? Yeah, yeah. Project 703. Oh, it's on there, isn't it? Yeah, it's on there. Yeah, okay. And and here's why this is so important. Um, one of those organizations out of Illinois is uh, Amber Oberlin, whose husband was murdered in the line of duty, mm. and and uh, Shelley Clearman, who is in Terre Haute, mm. her brother was murdered was in the killed. line of duty, yeah. and both of those entities are bringing the wounded blue in. So we're partnering with them, That's and awesome. I got to tell you, man, when again giving purpose for their pain, yes, yes. Yeah. It, yeah, it it these are two amazing women, two amazing women who have taken their pain created um this ability and and uh they saw the wounded blue in action right and Mm -hmm. they they said we want you to bring this to the midwest yeah so that's what's happening national conference being hosted in the midwest and uh coming up october 11th through the 14th correct brother i gotta tell you i know you got a ton more stories and i know people are going to want us to have you (laughs) back on to talk more would you would you come back absolutely but what i would say also is folks go to this conference because they're going to be able to hear more interact with you more it's well worth the investment in yourself and your family to do that you also have a podcast that you do on a regular basis as well tell us about that real quick it's uh, called the voice for american law enforcement yeah and um wait a minute do your radio voice hi this is randy sutton (laughs) there you go He does. That's sound a like great that. voice right there. That is a great voice, man. One more time. I reserve that for a special yeah. occasions. I've been on there a couple That's times awesome. with Randy. Yeah, Rick has been yeah. has been a guest several times. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know what? Um, um, I think we were doing just radio format. Now it's a video format yeah. as well. Yeah. So it's on AmericaOutloud.com. AmericaOutloud.com. It's heard on iHeartRadio. Awesome. Um, and it's uh, it's on you know all the. Podcasts, all the platforms. All the platforms yeah, yeah. at all. That's awesome. So, yeah, uh, I urge people to go to that. See me on Facebook. Yeah. Um, Facebook's a very interesting animal. That's a whole other now, world. How, how many seats do you have for this conference? Um, is, there a, is there a limit? I mean, is there a set limit where people... Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we probably cannot go more than 250 because of the space that's available I, I think, to us. I think we can do... I think people can do 250. I think we could get 250 
But well, people need people to get can. registered. They now. need to get registered. Yeah, that's now. What, yeah. that's my yeah. point. You don't want to delay. Right. right. You want to get registered right. now because right. there is limited. There is a limit. Correct. So. Yes. And so, and that includes your meals. Okay. Wow. Plus, there's entertainment. Hey. Wow. All because right. I do not have a training. Are you conference. singing? <laughs> Am I might. Oh man. Now I, now I actually do have an album out. <laughs> do you really? Why wouldn't he? Man, you're into everything. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> I'm from New Jersey, man. <laughs> so, man, you were talking, and I want to close with this. You were Wait a minute. Before you do that, I want to I want to give you guys something. Oh. Oh, man. This is our challenge coin. Man. Thank you, sir. And, of course, okay. it's got... Oh, that's it's awesome. Never Look Forgotten, Never Alone, which, of course, is on my T-shirt. Yeah. And if... That is beautiful. And if anybody wants to get a T-shirt like this, that not that you're going to fill it out as well as I do. No, but, uh, never. But go to the website. <laughs> never forgotten, never over, alone. Right. Try to reach That's over key. all these microphones. That's and awesome. uh, we're partnered with Relentless Defender, who makes our, our shirts. Okay, great. And uh, they're all available on our on our website, or go to Relentless Defender. And put Thank you very blue. much. That's, That's very beautiful. awesome. Thank you, man. Well, you know, the, you know the respect level of... Of those challenge coins. That's sure. exactly right. You saw my collection in there. I did. Above the coffee I did. Man. I sure did. Now, here, now, here's the deal. You were talking about what's my legacy going to be. I got to tell your brother, I think you're leaving quite the legacy. I think you are, too. And the key on leaving a legacy is when I had a very good friend of mine, Bill Westfall, who's been on this podcast. Yeah. Great guy. Has always shared this. A true legacy is when you have done such a great work that people don't even remember who was responsible for it. That's right. It's just That's a way cool. of life like for them yeah. now. It's just the way it is. That's a true legacy, my yeah. friend. And when you talk about finding your mission, I just encourage you and others watching, stay tied in to not just your mission, but your co-mission. That's right. And who you co-mission yourself yeah. with, which uh, I always encourage and point everybody back to, which is Jesus the Christ, who said, blessed are the That's peacemakers. Right. And, and I'm going I'm to give a scripture here at yeah. the end of this. Proverbs 21 and verse 15 says this, because this is really what you're doing. It says, justice is a joy to the godly, but it terrifies the evildoer. There you and go. you are literally providing justice for these wounded warriors, <laughs> as you say, who may or may not have gotten a square deal, because uh, you didn't, uh, and you're providing justice. And we can tell just being with you. And it's the joy of your heart. I mean, you're going everywhere, all that spending all your it. days and hours and yeah. your life, the rest and remainder of your life, doing a godly thing to these other men and women and families of law enforcement officers that have been wounded. I have another phrase. He'll tell you. He can finish it. <laughs> I love you, and there's nothing, nothing you, you can, can do, do about it. About it. <laughs> uh, we're we're just we're thankful that you're doing what you're doing. Thank you so much for your life and for sharing these stories with us, but also for living them and uh, and surviving them. And, and it means a lot to us and for the challenge coin and being with us today. Why don't you oh, close us out with a prayer? My, it's, it is, it is yeah. my pleasure to be here. Thank you, sir. Hey, wherever you are right now, if you're in your car and you're listening to this, do not bow your head and close your eyes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the Lord can hear your prayer and acknowledge you with your eyes wide open. Praying with your and, eyes open. Uh, being careful about your surroundings. Father, I thank you today that, uh, number one, that you just blessed this event uh, with uh, Randy and his team and his organization that they receive and get all the people in the seats they need that need them right now. Let this be a divine moment, divine appointments. And Lord, I pray that you would bless 
people with the money they need, not to let that stress them out, but Father, to get the help they need and get this training in their lives. I thank you for his life. Thank you, Lord, for all that he has dealt with, all that he continues to deal with because of the life that he's led as a great saver of life and a great police officer. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to guide him, lead him, and strengthen him as he goes along the way. And we ask you, Lord, for many more divine appointments. Thank you, Father, for all those that are watching today. Bless them. We love our law enforcement officers and their families. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you for watching. Don't forget to hit that bell, subscribe, shoot us a, a word of, you know, we, we like to hear from you too. Uh, we spent a long time uh, uh, talking to you. We'd love to have you say something back. And uh, as you know, uh, Rick uh, is going to probably say here in a minute, that's good stuff. Enough said. Love <laughs> you. Bless you. See you soon. Hi, this is Randy Sutton, the founder of The Wounded Blue. And I'm going to bring in a, uh, an amazing guy here, and we're going to talk about the second annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit to be held in Terre Haute, Indiana, October 11th through the 14th. And with me is Sheriff Mark Lamb, who is uh, the sheriff of Pinal County, Arizona. He is the author of, of a couple books, uh, another one coming up soon. He is a nationally known speaker, and he is going to be presenting at the National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. Sheriff Lamb, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Randy. I appreciate you having me on. And, and also, I appreciate you letting me be part of the Wounded Blue uh, eventing that you're doing again. It was phenomenal last year, and I'm looking forward to it this year. So, in, in, you know, you've been you've been the sheriff for, for a while now. How important is this type of training that we're offering? Because basically, it's every aspect of surviving a law enforcement career, uh, physically, tactically, emotionally, psychologically. I mean, we, we've got some of the most amazing speakers and you are one of them. How, does, how, do, how important is this type of training for a law enforcement officer? Oh, extremely important, Randy. It's an honor to be one of the speakers. I had a great time last year. We talked about leadership. I think we're going to be covering a, a lot of those same topics again this year. Um, I had six of my people go, three from the jail, three from the road went last year, and uh, they loved it. Look, we do a lot of trainings in law enforcement, and a lot of it is redundant. A lot of it's the same things, and it's easy to just kind of be ho-hum. Um, my guys really got a lot out of the training last year in Las Vegas. Um, the speakers were amazing. And really, it's, it's true, Randy. You talk about the tactical piece, but then you talk about how to deal with the emotional side of what law enforcement is and how to deal with the family side of it and how you bridge that gap. Um, and I thought all the speakers were so beneficial and I, my guys did as well. And that's one of the barometers I use when we determine whether a training is good or not, um, which is why we'll be sending a bunch more this year too. That's fantastic. And you know, you, in my 34 year police career, I attended countless training um, you know, conferences as, as you have as well. But you know, one of the things that, that is really important to me is that people also have fun at these events. So, um, I think you, uh, you attended last year's and did you have fun as well? Oh, it was a great time. You guys <laughs> threw a great, uh, not just event, not just the speakers, but just the event in, in and of itself was fun. 
Um, the people that were there were, were great to get along with, met a lot of good people that I've continued to stay in contact with since then. So it was in Vegas, so it's not hard to have fun in Vegas. But uh, <laughs> uh, we're looking forward to seeing what you guys do this year because you do put on a good event, fun event, and uh, really give these guys, law enforcement, an opportunity to just kind of let their hair down and uh, learn and have a good time. That's what's so important. And this year it's going to be in Terre Haute, Indiana, October 11th through the 14th. We're having it in the uh, in the Midwest so that uh, officers from the uh, area, Indiana, Illinois, uh, uh, Missouri, can uh, can drive there. So it's so it's not as onerous, you know, for them to you know have to get have to get uh, airline tickets and things like that. But this is a national conference, and we really um, uh, want law enforcement officers to to think about coming to this training because this will be some of if you have one training conference one training conference to go to this year this is the one to go to every aspect about surviving a law enforcement career and i and we really encourage you to bring your significant other as well uh mark you know um you know part of surviving a law enforcement career is having a healthy relationship and uh, and and how important is that when we're talking about uh, about you know uh, having a long and uh, and uh, career in law enforcement? Oh, it's extremely important. Uh, well, I think we have an extremely high divorce rate in this profession, which goes to show you you need as much training as you can get on how to make sure that that that's, that doesn't happen to you. Um, when you go out and you work with you're on your you're you're pushing your emotional. Uh, those feelings every day, you're having dopamine spikes, you're, uh, you're having uh, your downers when you have to see the worst things that you've ever had to see in your life. And it's important that that doesn't carry over into your home and disrupt the, that, that relationship in your home. And frankly, your spouse becomes one of your greatest anchors to what you believe in and what, what is grounding you and and what keeps you sane in this profession that can be very difficult. So I, if I didn't have the wife I had, I certainly wouldn't be the police officer or the sheriff that I am today. And so I attribute a lot of my success to her, uh, most of my success to her. And I think that whatever we can do to reduce the number of divorces in this industry, uh, which clearly you guys are focused on that, I think is a benefit. So to all of you who are watching this, if you are a law enforcement officer, or if you know a law enforcement officer, pass this on. The National Law Enforcement Survival Summit to be held in Terre Haute, Indiana, October 11th through the 14th. We make it really inexpensive. It's $295. If you can't afford that, if you have a problem affording that, there is scholarship uh, available as well. So uh, go to thewoundedblue.org. That's thewoundedblue.org. Dot org and uh, there's a, a little tab that says events. Go click on that and register right now. Uh, and and by the way, if you bring your spouse, it's half price. So uh, by all means, think about bringing your significant other, your spouse, whoever, uh, to this training conference with you. It is going to be an, uh, a conference to remember. And uh, Sheriff Mark Lamb, who is uh, one of the best speakers I have seen, and believe me, I've seen a bunch of them, is going to be presenting as well. Mark, thanks so much for joining me, and uh, I am looking forward to seeing you at the National Law Enforcement Survival Summit, October 11th through the 14th.
It's going to be fun. Thank you, Randy. And thank you for uh, doing this, putting this on. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, God bless you. and look forward to seeing you in uh, Terre Haute, Indiana. Fantastic. And to you who are viewing this, please share it with, uh, with the people that you know that are in law enforcement. And if you love a cop, send it to that officer as well. This is Randy Sutton, thewoundedblue.org. See you in Terre Haute, Indiana. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Rick and I trust that you heard something that will help your life. And if you believe that it would help others, please make sure and share. Like and subscribe and hit that bell so that you can be notified when the next podcast is available. God bless you and we'll see you soon.